Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice when hey everybody, this is Shane Claiborne and I want to thank you for listening in on the show. I've been doing uh, this show for many, many years, many of them with my dear friend and partner in ministry, Dr. Tony Campolo. And these days uh, I'm doing the shows on my own. And uh, uh, this particular series that I've been working on is expanding on themes that are in my new book, Rethinking Life. And it doesn't matter if you're just tuning in, if you haven't heard the other shows, but the, the whole book is about, uh, the, the subtitle is Embracing the Sacredness of Every Person. So, you know, this, this conviction and the truth that every person is made in the image of God. And this, this show is, is, is around the theme that we started last week, that we decided as human beings that some lives matter more than others. For hundreds of years, we began to create a mythology, a hierarchy of human value, saying some humans, uh, their, their lives matter a little bit more than others, you know, um, that some folks carry the image of God a little bit more than other people. Uh, this really began to take shape around the, the eugenics project, which is what I, I talked about um, last week. The, the project that was really um, aspiring to engineer, genetically engineer the perfect human race. Uh, and this was the, the cousin of Charles Darwin, uh, Francis Galton, that began to create this um idea that we're going to breed um, into perfection or you know we're gonna we're gonna keep people from reproducing that don't carry the best genetic traits and the race was all a part of this and you know hundreds of years we've been even going back to Plato and Aristotle Plato created a hierarchy of metals that he compared human beings to so you know like gold silver bronze that some of us are a little bit more precious uh metals than others um and and then this began to create develop a theology under uh saint augustine and thomas aquinas that also began to create a theology that validated the enslavement of human beings. And it wasn't always Africans, but uh, there's always been this kind of social construct of race that began to develop and, um, and, and, and really of human value. So this, this section that we are in now, and, uh, you know, of course, a lot of this climax too, in, in a certain way during Nazi uh, Germany, where people became so 
devalued. Life was so desecrated. They were so dehumanized that they were burned um, in the millions. Uh, their bodies just totally annihilated. And, and you know that God takes that personally. You know, every one of these folks made in the image of God. So we, we think of the Holocaust and genocides. And it often begins, the, the desecration of life begins often a little bit more subtly, right? That we, we begin to call people something less than human, um, cockroaches or um, rapists, or they're all, you know, we, we, we begin to desecrate the image of God in them. And then, uh, you know, it gets even more overt and deadly. And even now, you know, we think of um, this idea of Black Lives Matter, this movement of Black Lives Matter is so important because uh, it's it, it it honors the fact that our history has not been colorblind. Uh, like injustice has not been blind to color. In fact, it's been been very aware of color and uh, discrimination sees people's uniqueness and difference and then begins to just, you know, carry out power that um, can absolutely destroy people. So, you know, in our country, the same folks that wrote this, the founding documents of America, where they said all men are created equal, these people owned human beings as property, right? And in and, and those same founding documents, Native Americans were called savages. That's the language in our founding documents of America. Uh, the compromise that was made for uh, African-Americans, right, is that they were three-fifths human. So iconic cases like the Dred Scott case said that Black folks don't have any rights that white people have to acknowledge. So now to affirm in a particular way what history has uh, discriminated against in a particular way. It's so important. And I, I mentioned last week, my friend Alexia Salvatierra looks at the, the beautiful passage in Corinthians where it talks about how we're one body with many parts. And if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. And then, you know, in that passage, it says that the parts of the body that have been dishonored are given special honor. Uh, 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 Dr. Alexia calls it God's affirmative action, you know, that, that God's affirming those people who this world has not affirmed. In fact, this world has shamed or desecrated their lives uh, or decried that they, they are less than human. They're, they're, they're three-fifths human, that they're savages, like the, that we've got to correct that history by emphasizing the sacredness that has been desecrated. So to say Black Lives Matter is simply to affirm what 400 years of history has denied. And to say Black Lives Matter is not to say white lives don't matter. It's not to say Black Lives Matter more, but it's simply to affirm that they sure don't matter less. And by the way, nowadays people are going, matter <laughs> is a low bar. I mean, Black Lives not only matter. Black lives are holy, sacred, made in the image of God. To say black is beautiful is not to say white folks are ugly, but it's to, to affirm what has been 
not always affirmed. If, if we can't emphatically say Black Lives Matter, it's hard to believe that we really mean all lives matter, right? And one of the comedians that I, I think does this so well, Michael Che, one of the things he says is when, when your wife asks you, uh, honey, do you love me? You don't respond by saying, baby, I love everybody. <laughs> do you love me I, or on mother's day you know you don't celebrate all mothers you celebrate your mama and all mothers right but like to say uh, uh, uh to say in a particular way that we've got we've got family in the streets crying out we can't breathe and when they are suffering we are suffering so i think for those of us that are uh, in kind of the white historic majority culture that's had so much power there's a part of this that like is just inviting us to have compassion and solidarity with these these other this other part of our family that is hurting and has been hurting for hundreds of years so you know being able to 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 do that is is what Jesus also does in the Beatitudes when Jesus blesses the poor and says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the persecuted. He is putting the spotlight on the folks that have been in the shadows. Come on, somebody. And, uh, you know, right now, so many folks are hurting in the world, um, our black and brown uh siblings our our family in palestine and they're, they're crying out do you love me does does my life life matter and we need to be able to say yes you are sacred so the question isn't whether black lives matter to god but how much they matter to us and if we you know this affirmation this celebration of black beauty and brilliance is a part of what we all need to be about and it helps to uh heal and counteract our our history of racism uh, this mythology of racial segregate uh, of hierarchy racial hierarchy right the the value of lives uh, over others so i you know as i look at um you know there's a lot of folks that say we need to be colorblind but our systems continue to discriminate and we can't simply be post-race or colorblind we need to undo the harm we need to be actively anti-racist as uh many scholars and activists are saying that we've got to uh undo or heal the hundreds of years of of racism and injustice and oppression have disproportionately affected people of color and uh and other marginalized groups right um and so it's a it's our holy duty to give special honor to those parts of our family that have not been appropriately honored and celebrated in the world. Uh, so I, you know, I, a lot of this, as I think of my upbringing, right? I grew up in East Tennessee and it's, it was still a very segregated area. Uh, we, I, I went to a high school, Maryville high school that our, our, our high school team, our football team, you know, our mascot was the Maryville high school rebels and the Confederate flag was on everything. I It was on our lunchroom trays. It was painted on our wall as a mural. It was on the football field. And so uh, as we think of that flag, right, uh, 
when I came up to Philly and I, I had my yearbook from high school and it had the Confederate flag on it, I put it on the shelf, you know, in my college dorm room. And my friends were like, yo, that flag, why do you have the Confederate flag on your yearbook? And I said, well, you know, that it was the mayor of high school rebels. And they're like, yeah, that's not about team spirit. You know, that's not, uh, th th this is has a deep history. And, and we, you know, there's folks even today, I mean, I see Confederate flags even up here in Philadelphia, where people say this is about, not about hate, it's about heritage, heritage, not hate. But the fact is, the Confederate flag is about a heritage of hate. It, it, it's about um, being on the wrong side of history when it comes to the equality and liberation of folks. So, you know, it's increasingly clear that to a lot of people, um, there's distractions, right? The critical race theory and all this stuff that people try to um, uh, be squirmy. <laughs> there's a good word. And not talk about racism. But here's the deal is we, we believe that human hearts are sinful, but we also have to believe that human institutions are, are sinful, that they are imperfect. And just as sin affects individuals, it also affects systems and institutions. So you look at almost every part of our society right now and the hundreds of years of racism and discrimination, it still has residue. Whether you look at the disproportionate number of African-Americans that are in, incarcerated right now, listen to this statistic, just breaks your heart and blows your mind. One out of every three African-American boys born today, one out of three can expect to go to prison. And, 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 and we have more African-Americans in prison today than there were enslaved in 1850. So as we look at, you know, housing and policies, voting, um, health care, income disparities, criminal um, convictions for the same crime uh, and how different they are based on race, you still see the residue of that. So, you know, I think so much of this talk about uh, critical race theory and systemic racism, what we just need to insist is that sin affects systems. And I believe in personal salvation because I believe that I and all of us are sinners in need of a savior and God is healing our hearts. But we also need to think about policies and changes because God is redeeming all things. God is saving individuals and God is also transforming a world. And to say this kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven means we, we get to reimagine the world as God intended it, as God wants it to be. So to say that you know, a lot of this is really about how we remember history, too. There's folks that want to erase parts of our history or want to sugarcoat them. There's folks that don't. They want to take Martin Luther King out of the textbooks. They don't want to tell history in any way that would be honest if it brings about some sense of shame or guilt. And yet, don't we believe that the truth sets us free? We believe in recognizing and acknowledging, even confessing our sins as individuals. And we got to do the same as a country, as nations, what we did to native folks, what we did to uh, enslave people. Like we need to be honest so we don't repeat that history and we can't get our future right. 
until we get that history right. So check this out. Um, in Tennessee, we still had a statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest, one of the founders of the Ku Klux Klan, one of the most prominent leaders, grand wizards of the KKK. That statue was in the Capitol until right after 2015. Folks began to organize, hundreds of people. And there were folks that were arrested for nonviolent direct action, for calling for that statue to be taken down. And listen to this. It still took six years of struggle to get that, that statue of the founder of the KKK out of the Tennessee Capitol. And it's clear that there are people in, in the United States and in many other countries in the world that are more committed to protecting Confederate monuments and monuments to the colonizers, monuments to the folks who are on the wrong side of history. Um, then they are, we're more in the South, we're more committed to protecting Confederate monuments, some folks are, than Black lives. And, and sadly, there's still more monuments all over the South that commemorate the people who were a part of the Confederacy, who were um, advocating for uh, slavery to be allowed. So, I mean, there's a reason, right? When you go to Germany, that you don't see many monuments to Hitler and the Nazis. Um, we remember what they did, but the way that you honor history is by remembering the people who suffered as they fought for the dignity and freedom, those to, to overcome the oppression and injustices. You don't put up statues to the folks who perpetrated the injustices. We don't remember 9-11 by setting up statues to the 17 terrorists who were responsible for the attack, right? We remember the names of the some you know 3,000 lives that were lost in the attack on September 11th. And yet all over the United States, we have these statues honoring the victimizers rather than the victims of racial terror. Uh, not only that, but we, we've also erased all the beauty and brilliance of uh, non-white artists and scientists and inventors. And so we got to keep not just remembering Black folks and Native folks as victims of injustice, but see them in their full glory as image bearers of God, all that they've contributed to our, our society and continue to contribute. So some of this truth-telling is about building that kind of future. And uh, uh, there's lots of countries that have done terrible things that have enslaved people, been a part of the uh, global slave trade, folks, you know, the colonizing and, uh, you know, slaughtering native populations, First Nations people. But this is interesting because Eddie Glaude, um, he's a scholar and commentator. He said, this is where America is different and exceptional is in the myths that we've made, right? So listen to this. This is Eddie Glaude. He says, America is not unique in its sins as a country. We're not unique in our evils. I think where we may be singular is our refusal to acknowledge them and the legends and myths that we build 
that we tell about our inherent goodness to hide and cover and conceal so that we can maintain a kind of willful ignorance that protects our innocence that willful ignorance that protects our innocence. So where America's unique is not, not just the evils that we've done, but the mythology, the lies we've told ourselves, the ways that we refuse to acknowledge uh, the evils of our past. Mm. So this is some of the truth telling I try to do in this book, Rethinking Life. And one of the, the two of the folks that I really look at, and you know, I may have to do this on the next show, but one of those is Abraham Lincoln, and the other is uh, Christopher Columbus, who I learned, you know, in elementary school, these these is, as heroes, and and uh, you, you know, there's there's a lot about Abraham Lincoln to appreciate, but there's a lot of things that he got wrong, and um, as we think of Abraham Lincoln, I mean, he, he's consistently. Uh, one of uh, America's fav favorite presidents. One of when you say who are your heroes, he's kind of like an American saint, right? And his face is engraved in Mount Rushmore. America celebrates Presidents Day um, and even Black History Month, set in February, because of Lincoln's birthday. I mean, he's had a mark on this country, and he's got the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. Um, when President Obama took his oath of office, he did it um, on Lincoln's Bible. He put his hand on Lincoln's Bible. So this is what's so important, though, is Lincoln was a pragmatist in some ways. He he was not by any means um, someone who believed in the equal dignity and uh, sacredness of black lives. In 1858, um, in the first of seven debates with Stephen Douglas, the famous Douglas debates, um, this is what um, Abraham Lincoln said, right? He said, I have no purpose, directly or indirectly, to interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists. He says, I have no purpose to introduce political and social equality between the white and black races. There is a physical difference between the two. And then listen to this. In my judgment, it will the two will probably forever forbid their living together upon the, the footing of perfect equality. I, as well as Judge Douglas, am in favor of the race to which I belong, having the superior position. And in and, and and later debates, he doubled down and said, I am not, nor have I ever been in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, these are Abraham Lincoln's words, nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. There's a physical difference between the white and black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of social and political equality. There must be the position of superior and inferior. And I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. So racial superiority of white folks was a regular talking point of Abraham Lincoln. And he said, you know, in his inaugural address, he said it again, I have no purpose directly or indirectly to interfere with the institution of slavery. And, you know, this, so we, Obviously, you know, he did uh, come around to the emancipation, uh, you know, his 1863 Emancipation Proclamation. But it's so important to know that this backdrop that he even said himself, like, my biggest struggle is to save the union. And it's it's not to to 
save or destroy slavery. If I could save the union without freeing any slave, I'd do it. If I could save it uh, without by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. If I could see, this is Abraham Lincoln. If I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would do it like that. So he was not, it's so important to remember that, you know, Abraham Lincoln, for the good that he did, he also was still a part of this, um, legitimizing this hierarchy of human value. Um, it, you also see it as it came to the Native Americans. He passed some of the most terrible uh, acts, nullifying treaties with Native tribes, the uh, Homestead Act of 1862. Um, he, there, the, the, we had the one of the largest mass executions, 300 Dakota folks that were condemned to die in 1862 one of the largest mass executions in the history of our country. Um, so, and there were militias that were sent out under Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's presidency um, that were paid as bounty hunters, as, as head hunters, $150 a day or $25 per scalp. Per scalp. They were paid to kill Native Americans. And there were there was a war reward put out. So, you know, you start to think if we knew all this truth, what might maybe we would think differently as we especially in the United States as we think about Thanksgiving or we think about how we celebrate Christopher Columbus. And maybe next time we'll do Christopher Columbus. But I, I just want to say all of this, not to uh, uh this is at the heart of our gospel telling the truth, the truth setting people free, realizing that we don't have to choose between individual salvation and social transformation. It goes together. God heals hearts. And we are also to be a part of the movement that God is doing to remake the world. So we've got to do, undo and uh, repair and restore the historic harm that was done as we think of racism and colonization. So this is holy work, y'all. And uh, this is Shane Claiborne talking about rethinking life, my newest book, and particularly the idea, where did we come up with this idea that some lives matter more than others? Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.